Hello, and welcome to another White Horse Media presentation. White Horse Media presents Amazing Discoveries with international speaker and best-selling author Steve Wolberg. Our goal is to continue to produce life-changing and biblically-based presentations. We hope you enjoy this series. At the end of this CD, you'll receive more information on this ministry and how you can obtain some additional resources. In today's program, Steve will examine the unpardonable sin. Now, here's Steve. Is it murder? Is it suicide? Is it adultery? What is this mysterious unpardonable sin that the Bible talks about? The answer may surprise you. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12 and let's begin our study. Matthew chapter 12, tonight's meeting is an awesome subject. The unpardonable sin. A lot of views on this and tonight we'll try to find out what the Bible actually says. Let's begin with prayer. Let's bow our heads and lift up our hearts and talk to God. Dear Father, Holy Father in heaven, it's a privilege to be here at this seminar and we pray that the blessing of heaven will be upon me and upon everybody here. God, we need you. Please help us to understand this very powerful subject and to make the right decisions, all of us, to be on your side in the great controversy that we're in between Jesus Christ and the devil. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The unpardonable sin, if you look at Matthew chapter 12, and if you look at the end of verse 31, the very end of verse 31, Jesus talks about a sin that shall not be forgiven unto men. At the end of verse 32, he talks about the same sin, and he says, it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So here two times, Jesus Christ refers to a sin that will never ever be forgiven. What could it possibly be? A lot of people wonder about this. This is very, very mysterious. Some people think, you know, is this some big, huge, terrible sin committed by some very, very evil, sinister person? Now, what is the unpardonable sin? Is it a sin committed by, you know, some very evil person who, who delights in killing other human beings? The answer may surprise you as we actually open our Bibles and take a look. Let's, let's actually look at the context of what Jesus is talking about. If you go back to verse 22, here we have the background of this, this passage. In verse 22, the Bible talks about a miracle that Jesus Christ performed. Then was brought unto him, unto Jesus, one who was possessed with a devil. Yes, people can be possessed by devils. That's what the Bible says. And this man was possessed by a devil. He was blind. He couldn't see. He was dumb. Couldn't speak. And Jesus healed him. He revealed his love, the love of the Father, the love of God for this man, insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and they said, is not this the son of David? When Jesus manifested his love and drove out this devil, the man, you know, his eyes were opened and he could, he could speak, he was completely healed. Now you would think after a miracle like this that everybody would just be jumping for joy, wouldn't you? Everybody would be thrilled. I'm sure this man was happy, but what about everybody else? Not everybody was excited about this miracle and we know that from the next verse. If you go down to verse 24, the Bible says, when the Pharisees heard it. Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were actually the most religious people of the day. 
They were the ones that were the most, most supposedly sanctified. They were the ones that went to the synagogues regularly. They carried the Bible around with them, the scrolls of the scriptures. They quoted the prophets. You know, they always talked about what God wanted people to do. They talked about obedience and disobedience and many different things. They were the ones that prayed long prayers in the temple. These were the religious people the most religious people of the day. And when the Pharisees heard about this miracle that Jesus performed, they said, this fellow, referring to Christ, does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Now, Beelzebub is another, another word for, for Satan. And so what's happening here is these religious leaders are looking at the miracle that Jesus performed and they're thinking to themselves and talking out loud and they're saying, this, this can't be from God. This must be the devil working through Jesus Christ. Now in verse 25, the scripture says, Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. And he said unto, and what's that next little word? He said unto them, Right, so notice here, the context is Jesus is talking to the religious people, the Pharisees, and then he goes on in verse 25 and onward, saying certain things to the Pharisees. Now in verse 28, Jesus said to them, if I cast out devils, and that's what he had just performed, this miracle, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So Jesus was saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit specifically, the Father was working through him and the Spirit of God was driving out these demons out of people's lives. Jesus was confronting the devil, confronting his kingdom, and it was specifically the power of the Holy Spirit that was working through the ministry of Christ. You see that? And when the Pharisees looked at that manifestation of the Spirit, they didn't recognize that this was the Holy Spirit, did they? They thought this was the devil. So what were they doing? They were actually rejecting the work of the Spirit of God as he was moving through the ministry of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That's what's happening here. Now, because of that, in verse 31 and 32, that's the reason why Jesus gave the warning. Verse 31, he said, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against, against who? Against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Notice, verse 32, Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against who? Against the Holy Ghost it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So when you really carefully look at the context about this whole issue of the unpardonable sin, number one, Jesus is talking to religious people. And number two, it's them that he's warning about the unpardonable sin. And number three, specifically, the unpardonable sin has to do with the sin against the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? That's exactly what it says. Now, when Jesus talks about blaspheming against the Spirit, when you look back at verse 24, the words that they spoke, they weren't specifically verbally speaking against the Holy Spirit, were they? They didn't use this phrase, the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, that's what they were doing. They were resisting, they were rejecting the work of the Spirit through Jesus Christ and calling that, that Spirit the work of the devil. And that's the reason why the Lord warned them. He warned them about committing the unpardonable sin. 
So that's the context. Now, most of us here tonight, uh, we are, or at least hopefully we think of ourselves as religious people. And it's very important for us to realize that these were the people that Jesus warned. There was the religious people, do you see that? They were the ones that prayed the longest prayers, that went to the synagogue, that read the scriptures, and that talked the most about God. These were the ones. And so when you think about that, you know, it just really, it just makes you, you know, your mouth drop open and you go, oh my, you know, I really need to study this subject. And that's what we're gonna do tonight. Tonight we are going to study all about the Holy Spirit because the unpardonable sin has to do with resisting and rejecting the Spirit of God. And, and I think that it's probably safe to say that there's not a one of us here that would ever want to commit that sin, right? We don't want to commit that sin, so what we need to do is we need to study about the Spirit very, very carefully. So let's go to our next text. Let's go to John chapter 14. John 14, and let's look at verse 16. Tonight is gonna to be a very, very personal subject. We're talking about the Spirit of God and we're talking about somebody that's here with us right now. The Spirit of the Lord is very, very real. He moves among us. He works in the seminar. He works upon our minds. And we're going to talk about this whole process this evening. John chapter 14, let's talk about the Spirit. John 14, verse 16. Jesus said, I will pray to the Father. He prayed to his Father to send someone to us. And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And then Jesus called him even the spirit of, and what's that next word? The spirit of truth, right? Now here Jesus, in fact, in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks more about the Holy Spirit than in any other time in his ministry. And in this passage, Jesus calls the spirit, the spirit of the truth. Now this is very important. Let's go on to chapter 15. I'm gonna show you that Jesus says this actually three different times. If you look at verse 26, John 15, 26, Jesus said, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the spirit of, and what's that next word? Truth, right. Which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now here we have one more passage. Let's look at chapter 16, verse 13. 16, 13, Jesus said, how be it when he, the spirit of, and what does it say again? The spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you, he will lead you into all truth. Now here, here are three times where Jesus Christ refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of the truth. Now some people ask me, they say, Steve, do you believe in the gifts of the spirit? And my response is yes, I, I certainly do. But the Holy Spirit is not called the spirit of gifts in the Bible. And the reason is because gifts are temporary. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of the truth and the reason is because truth is eternal. Truth will go on when the gifts have come to an end. Truth has to do with the essential nature of the Spirit of God. And that's why Jesus calls him over and over again, the Spirit of the truth. Now, if we're gonna avoid the unpardonable sin, then it's very important for us to learn how important it is to follow truth, amen? To follow the truth as God shows us in the Bible. Okay, let's go on. Next text, Romans chapter 9. We've got a lot of verses to look up. This is just going to be a fascinating study, and I hope that God's Spirit will talk to your mind as He's been talking to my mind as we dig deep. Romans chapter 9. Let's take a look at verse 1, and that's on page 1125. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Actually, before I read that text, I want to just go back to this verse here on the screen. 
back to the previous verse that we looked up in John 16, 13. Jesus said, when the spirit of, of truth comes, he will guide you into, and then what does he say? Into all truth. Now, he doesn't just say some truth, but he says all truth. The work of the Spirit is to lead us, guide us step by step by step into more and more truth until eventually He's guided us into all the truth that we can handle, all the truth that God wants us to have, at least in this life. That's the work of the Spirit. Now, how many of you during this seminar have felt or convicted that you have learned some truth during these meetings? in the last few weeks. Okay, look at all those hands. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for that. Now, if you've been learning truth based upon what we've just read, who has been the one behind the scenes who has been guiding your mind step by step by step to show you truth? Someone much bigger, that's right, than Steve Wahlberg. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says. Any truth that you learn, ultimately, it's the Spirit of the Lord that has been guiding your mind and showing you these different things. This is very important. Okay, now, Romans chapter 9, let's look at verse 1. Now, here Paul talks about his mind. And I want to really get practical in this. Romans 9:1. Paul wrote, I say the truth that is in Christ. Paul used this expression many times, the truth in Jesus. And he said, I lie not. Now here he's talking about truth and how he's not lying, truth and lies. And then he says, my, and that next word there is conscience. My conscience also is bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Now, in this passage, Paul is talking about a certain part of his mind where the Spirit of the Lord was really working. And what, what little word does he use there? He uses the word conscience, right? Now, this is a very, very important word, the conscience. Paul said, my conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now, what is the conscience anyway? I've heard a number of different definitions. One of the best ones, well, this is just one of them, but somebody once said, the conscience is that little part of you inside of your head that feels terrible while the rest of you feels great. <laughs> That's uh, somebody's definition of the conscience. The conscience, actually, you know, when you, when you study the Bible, um, I have learned that there is such a thing as biblical psychology. There's a lot of people that study psychology these days. They study the mind. But I prefer, above all, to study what the Bible teaches about the mind. Biblical psychology. There's a lot of psychology that really isn't true. And then there is some that is. And then there's Bible psychology that really ties in with Scripture. Now, when you study biblical psychology, what you discover is that the Bible talks about different mental faculties, faculties in your mind, such as imagination. Imagination is a faculty that we all have, and in imagination, we picture things and imagine you know, what this or that would be like. We also have what's called a memory. And the memory is where we, we, we remember things that have happened in the past. You'll remember this seminar, won't you? I hope so. You know, we all remember things, okay? That's another uh, faculty of the mind. We also have a faculty called reason. And reason is where we weigh things out. We also have another faculty which is called the will. And the will is where we make decisions. You chose to come here tonight because, you know, your will was, was active. Okay, we also have another part of the mind. It's not really a faculty, but it, the Bible calls it desire. And desire is what we want to do. What we really want to do in our hearts and in our souls, you know, our, our desires, our, our feelings towards something. That's another part of the mind. And then there's, then there's also that little part, tiny part, and yet very, very significant part, and that is the conscience. 
Now, the conscience is not just that part of you that feels bad when the rest of you feels great, but let me just make it a little, little plainer. The conscience, unlike the will, memory, imagination, and reason, the conscience is that part of you that the Spirit of God works in specifically to impress you with what is right and what is wrong. That's the conscience. It helps you dis to discern between truth and between lies. And we see both of those words here on this, in this text. Paul says, I say the truth. And he says, I'm not lying. My conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So that's the purpose of the conscience is to help us to see what's right and what's wrong and what is truth and what is a lie. And that's where the Spirit of God really works. He convicts us, this is the truth, this is what's right, and this is what I want you to do. That's what is happening inside of the conscience. Now let's go to our next text, which is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, this is on page 1181. You probably didn't think you were going to come here tonight and learn about your mind as you thought about this subject. But that's where God is leading us as we try to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we don't want to commit the unpardonable sin, so we want to know how the Holy Spirit works inside of us. 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's take a look at verse 1. Now this verse tells us how very important it is that we listen to the spirit of truth. And it also tells us about a battle with the spirits of the devil. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Now the spirit, and I believe this is right now, now the spirit speaks expressly, which means definitely the Holy Spirit of truth was speaking through Paul. And he says that in the latter times, and we're in the latter times, no doubt, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You see that? Now think about this carefully. Look at this picture on the screen here. On the one side, we have the spirit of the truth. And on the other side, we have seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The Holy Spirit is trying to teach us the truth, but there are these seducing, seductive, tricky spirits out there that are also trying to work upon our minds and trying to deflect the truth and trying to teach us all kinds of false doctrines that really don't come from God but come from the devil. Did you see that? And there is actually a battle that is going on right inside your mind and inside my mind, possibly right now. If it's not at this moment, you know, it certainly goes on at some point in our lives where we struggle between two voices. What is the voice of God and what is the voice of the devil? Somebody once said, I heard a great preacher once say that there are three great battles going on right now in the world. The first one is out there in the world generally. The second one is in the church. And the third one is inside your mind, individually. And then this preacher said, the person who wins the battle of the mind, that's the one that wins the war. That's the most important battle that's going on, is the battle right inside of us. Now, those that lose the battle, those that don't follow the spirit of the truth that teaches the Bible, but follow all these seductive spirits that lead us subtly away from Scripture, Eventually, what will happen to them, it says in verse 2, it's a rather scary text. Verse 2 says, eventually, they will end up speaking lies instead of speaking the truth in hypocrisy, and they will have their conscience. There's that word conscience again. Their conscience will end up seared with a hot iron. Now, friends, this is a very, very frightening text, and it's talking about what could happen 
inside of your mind and inside of my mind if we do not listen to the spirit of truth, that gentle, still, small voice that speaks to us to guide us closer to Jesus and closer to the truth of the Bible. Did you see that? Now, those of you um, ladies, especially, I imagine there's some men out here who, who iron their shirts, but especially the ladies I'm thinking of, I imagine you've ironed a lot of shirts in your lives, haven't you? Now think about it, what happens when you leave the iron too long on top of the shirt, on the ironing board? That ever happened to you? I won't ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have done that? I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you do that and you leave that iron for too long on that shirt, what's going to happen to that shirt? The shirt is going to get, it's going to get seared, right? It's, it's, and then what happens to it? You throw it away. It's worthless, right? A seared shirt is no good. No good. Now, when the Bible is talking about the conscience, notice what can ultimately happen to a person's conscience if they don't listen to the spirit of truth. Eventually, that conscience can get seared. Do you see that? Now, what does that mean? If the conscience gets seared, and this is a process, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a step-by-step -step thing we're talking about here. If the conscience gets seared, what that means is eventually it becomes closed to the truth. So it is no longer open. So it is no, is no longer able to be impressed by that still, small voice of the spirit of truth saying, this is right, that's wrong, this is the truth, there's the lies, don't go that way, but go that way. Did you see that? If the conscience gets seared, then we just don't, you know, we don't hear that voice anymore. Some people come to my seminars and, and they might say to me later on as we get together and visit, they might say something like, Steve, I see it. It's in the Bible, you know, I see it, it's right there, black and white, but then they'll say, but you know, I just don't feel convicted about this or that. Just don't feel convicted about it. But I see it, it's here in the Word, and when I hear those kind of things, I think to myself, you know, oh my, what if it's happening right inside that person's conscience? You know, they, they see the truth, but they're not convicted about it. Now, let me tell you, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit hasn't been trying to convict that person. It might mean, it might mean that their conscience is getting harder and harder and harder and they just don't sense that conviction like they should. You see what I mean? Now, I've learned something. This is a very, very important point. I have learned that there is a, a major difference between actually being convicted in your conscience by the spirit of the truth and then admitting that you're under conviction. It's a subtle distinction, but it's very, very important. A person can be convicted. In fact, the spirit of God could be speaking as loudly as he knows how to speak. And a person's conscience can be just pulsating with the evidence of the Bible. But for them to actually consciously admit that to themselves and say, yes, I believe the Spirit is talking to me, you know, there's a major difference between those two. Because for a person to admit that the Spirit of truth is telling them to do something that they might not want to do or might not be a popular thing for them to do, you know, that admission would involve a conviction that they need to do something or make a change in their lives. And some people just, you know, they don't want to make those changes, and so they resist those convictions. And even though the Spirit is there talking to them, they just can't bring themselves to actually acknowledge that this is what is happening. Imagine a person standing in the middle of, a, of the road, and a big truck is coming at them, you know, straight down the line. And here's a guy standing right in the middle of the highway. 
and some friend of his is over on the side of the road and this friend says, hey, buddy, look, there's a truck coming at you. Get out of the road, quick. And let's say this man looks over at his friend and he says uh, calmly, he says, you know, thank you very much, but to tell you the honest, the honest uh, truth inside me, he said, I just don't really feel convicted that I should get out of the road. Now, what do you think about that? Well, you know, he might not feel convicted or he might not admit that he's under conviction. But I'll tell you something, when that truck finally comes and wham, hits him, he's gonna feel instant conviction, right? That's right. And that's what's gonna happen at the end of the world. When the judgment comes and the books are opened, people are all of a sudden going to see what they would not see, what they've been resisting and what they have been fighting. And that's what's gonna happen to those Pharisees. You know, those Pharisees were resisting Jesus, weren't they? They were saying, he's not the son of God. This isn't the Holy Spirit. This isn't God working for it through him. It's the devil. But it wasn't the devil. It was the spirit that was working through Jesus Christ. And finally, at the end, they will see that, won't they? When the truck of truth finally hits them on the judgment day, they will realize that they have made a big, big mistake. Now, let's go back at the text here. Verse 2, 1 Timothy 4.2 says they will be speaking lies in hypocrisy and they will have their conscience seared. Now notice what sears it. It says seared with a hot iron. Now what might this mean? The conscience being seared with a hot iron. I thought about this. What do, you know, hot irons give off heat, don't they? Are there a lot of influences in the world today that are putting on the pressure, that are, you know, uh, burning up the heat, picking up the heat inside of our minds, that are urging us not to follow the truth that we see in the Bible? It's a hot iron that sears the conscience. And as I've thought about this, I think about the hot influence of certain friends sometimes, or certain family members, or the pressure of of what's popular, the pressures of different things that come at us. And what's happening here is when we, when we learn the truth in the Bible, when the Spirit of God talks to our mind and talks to our conscience and says, I want you to do this, many times on the other side, there's the heat. There's the pressure, the heat of friends and family and, and other influences, the heat of false doctrines, false influences all around the world. And they come against us and we find ourselves in the midst of a war. On the one side is the heat, and the other side is the truth. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody relate out there? And I tell you, you know, we're all in it, aren't we? I mean, I'm not just standing up here talking down to you, but I, I know what it's like. I've studied these things out, and I felt them in my own minds, in my own mind. Uh, this is very, very real. And ultimately, we all have to make a decision, because I want to tell you something. Truth is never going to be popular. It's never going to be popular. To follow the straight path of truth is always going to involve some kind of resistance and opposition from the devil. Now, God will bless us if we follow truth, and there's, there's wonderful blessings and enjoyments and, and peace in following Jesus and following the truth. But there's also the opposition out there of the enemy, of the devil. And what this passage is telling us is that if we yield to the heat, to the pressure, instead of to the truth, and if we do this step by step by step, eventually what's gonna happen is our, our conscience is going to slowly, step by step, get harder and harder and harder, and eventually it's going to get seared. 
And so we no longer hear that voice, that still small voice of the Spirit of God. And what's going to happen is we're going to settle in to lies and to deception. And then, you know, we won't be bothered anymore. We're just fine. We're just fine in, in deception and it doesn't bother us at all. That is the result of a seared conscience. And when a person finally reaches that state, then what kind of a sin have they ultimately committed? Ultimately, they've committed an unpardonable sin. Now, when it's talking about an unpardonable sin, this doesn't mean that God doesn't want to forgive. It doesn't mean you've done some terrible thing that, that God says, and you say, if you say, Lord, please forgive me for this, that God will say, nope, you've committed the unpardonable sin. Sorry, you're, you're out of the kingdom. It's not that way. It's not that kind of a sin. It's a sin that people settle into. It's a process of going against the Holy Spirit so their conscience gets so hardened that they just don't hear God's voice convicting them about truth anymore. And if, they don't be, if they're not convicted about it, then they're not going to confess that particular sin and they're just going to settle into deception. Do you see that? So the unpardonable sin is a process. Now some people say to me, have I committed it? Well, let me tell you, if, if your conscience is worried about it, then you haven't done it. Because the people that, are, that are, have done it, don't worry about it. Okay? So take courage if you're worried about it. But let's make sure we listen to the voice of the Lord, right? It's extremely important that we learn to listen. The unpardonable sin is not a one-moment sin. It is a process, just like the Pharisees, step by step by step by step, rejected the ministry of Jesus. And as the Spirit talked to their minds and their consciences day after day, they resisted, they resisted, they resisted, and finally they were so hardened that they could even look at the Spirit of God working through Jesus to drive out a devil, and they could look at that and glibly say, it must be the devil doing that. You see? Now their sin was not just their words, but it was the state that they were in. Did you see that? It was a reflection of their whole mentality and how they had reached a very hardened condition. And that's what Jesus is warning about. Now, let's shift gears a little bit and let me talk to you about something else because this really does tie in with our meeting. Does the Spirit of Truth, would the Spirit of Truth, ever guide His children step by step into a certain church or denomination? That's an important question to ask. Now let's go back in our Bibles and let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we're going to look at verse 15. Now I've got the text that we actually studied a while ago, John 16, 13, where Jesus said that the spirit of truth would guide you into all truth. Remember that? That was John 16, 13. Now we just read 1 Timothy 4, we just read verse 1 and 2 about the devil, the spirit of the devil hardening people's consciences so they end up speaking lies. Now if you just back up to chapter 3, verse 15, notice what it says. Verse 15, Paul says, If I tarry long, I'm writing that you may know, you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of, and then what does it say? Of the truth. Now let's just put these pieces together. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Jesus said the Spirit of Truth would guide you into all truth. And this verse, in verse 15, says God wants us to be, to be in, inside His church, the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth. 
Now, let me ask you, do some churches have more truth than other churches? Now, there's good people in all churches, isn't that right? And God has true Christians in all churches. But do some churches have more truth than other churches? Definitely. Now, what church do you think the Holy Spirit would want us to be in? A church that has as, as much truth as possible. And the reason is because the spirit of truth wants our minds to be surrounded by truth because if we're surrounded by error and false doctrines and teachings and deceptions, then what's going to happen is it's going to be easier for our conscience to get seared. Do you see that? So that's the reason why the Holy Spirit wants us to be inside of a church where we're learning a lot of truth. As some people say to me, they say, well, Steve, God brought me to the church that I'm in. And it's very possible that he did that. He may lead us to a certain church, but the same spirit that leads us to a certain church because there's a certain amount of truth there that we need at that time, that same spirit might lead us to another church where we're going to learn more truth that we need. Do you see that? And then he might lead us to another church where we're going to learn even more. That's the way God leads his people, step by step, day by day, and his goal is to lead us into all truth. That's the way the Spirit leads. Now let's go to our next text, 2 Peter, and let's look at verse 21. It just makes so much sense to me that the Lord would want me to be inside of a church where I'm learning a lot of truth, because he loves me and he wants what's best for my conscience. And it's the same with you, it's the same with all of us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Peter says, for the prophecy, now here it's talking about Bible prophecy. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who? By the Holy Spirit. So based upon this passage, who is the specific one who inspires Bible prophecy? It's the Holy Spirit. So if, you, if there's a Bible prophecy seminar in the area and the Lord looks down and sees that seminar's coming, and he knows that in this seminar, people are gonna be learning the truth of the Bible, then don't you think the Spirit of the Lord would guide people to that seminar? Amen. Because he wants them to learn the prophecies. Now, again, notice that prophecy comes from the Holy Spirit. It's very important. Now, let's go to Revelation, chapter 12, verse 17. The book of Revelation is the greatest book of prophecy in the Bible, just about it's the last book, the book of of all prophecies, how they all tie in together into the book of Revelation. Now let's look at a great prophecy here. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17 says, the dragon, referring to the devil, was wrathful or angry with the woman, which refers to God's church, and he went to make war. There's the war, just like there's a war going on inside the, the mind. So here there's a war dealing with this whole issue of God's law. He's making war with the remnant, the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. Here is a prophecy in the heart of the book of prophecy, the book of Revelation, that talks about how God is going to have a remnant, a final remnant people that keep all of the Ten Commandments and follow Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you, who inspired this prophecy? the Holy Spirit. Now, why do you think he inspired this prophecy about a remnant keeping all of the Ten Commandments at the end of time? Why do you think he did that? Do you think he did it so he could just inspire prophecy and then just, you know, go to heaven and say, 
uh, to, to the Father, I did it, inspired the prophecy. I don't think so. I think the reason why he did that is because he wants to use the prophecy to impress people at the end of time to see the truth and then to take a stand with the remnant. Amen. You see that? That's the reason why he gave us this prophecy. Now, if there's somebody out there right now that's been really thinking about this and the Spirit of God is talking to your mind, don't deflect that conviction. Let it settle in. It's important that you, that you open yourself up to the true convictions of the Spirit. Now, if, if, if there's somebody that feels like, you know, I, I see it and I think God wants me to keep all the Ten Commandments. He wants me to be part of a remnant that do this. What do you think the devil's going to be doing at that time? You think he's just going to kick back, you know, and just put his leg up and just, you know, twiddle his thumbs around and just say, all right, no problem. Just go out and join the remnant. You think the devil's going to do that? No way, no way, friends. This verse says he's making war on the remnant. So what's going to happen is the devil is going to turn up the heat. You see that? That's what's going to happen. When people start seeing this and the Spirit's convicting them, the devil's going to say, don't do it. You shouldn't do it. You can't do it. And he's going to give you a whole bunch of reasons. Lots and lots of reasons. And it's important for us to discern what is the voice of God and, and what about the heat? You know, where's the heat coming from? See what I mean? This is truth here that we're reading here. Now, turn the page to chapter 14. Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12. We've studied this passage from night after night. And this is about the three angels' messages. And this is in the heart of the book of Revelation. And again, who inspired the book of Revelation? Who inspired prophecy? The Holy Spirit of truth, trying to teach us truth. And we've studied all about this. If you look at verse 12, Verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Saints, this is Christians. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. Yes, they do. They keep it. Now, before they kept it, first they had to be convicted to keep it, right? And they listened to that conviction. They listened to that conviction, and then they took a stand. And they choose to keep the commandments of God no matter what the heat and the faith of Jesus. This is the conclusion of the three angels' messages. This is right there in the heart of the book of Revelation. And this book, again, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So why did the Spirit inspire this prophecy? About a movement, a remnant, giving the three angels and leading people to keep all the Ten Commandments. Well, the reason is because the Lord wants us to take a stand and become part of this people. Now, some people might look at that text and they might, you know, they might have a question still. I don't know. Does the Lord really want me to do this? Now, maybe you've noticed this, but night after night, we've looked at verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and then we've looked at verse 14. But so far in this seminar, we have never read verse 13. Anybody notice that? We always skip that verse. Well, tonight, we're going to take a look at it. Verse 12 talks about those that keep God's law and follow Jesus, and then verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven, heavenly voice, and the voice said, to me, write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. In other words, from the time that the three angels' messages start moving, it start getting preached, and those who take a stand for these messages and live for these messages and share them with others, if they die in the message, they're blessed. And they'll rest from their labors and their works will follow them. Their influence will continue. Now notice what the last part says of verse 13. Verse 13 says, Yea, saith who? Saith the Spirit. Right. 
Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. If I should die before Jesus Christ comes, I want to die in the, in the third angel's message. I want to die in the three angels' messages. I want this text to be said about me. Blessed is Steve Wahlberg, who dies in the Lord. But I hope to be alive when Jesus comes. That's my, really my preference. <laughs> and I would think it would be yours too. But now, once again, you know, people think, they look at verse 12 and talks about keeping all the Ten Commandments, and they wonder, does God really want me to do this? My answer to you is on the screen from verse 13. The answer is, yea, saith the Spirit. No question. No question. If you just look at the text, and if you let the Spirit talk to your mind, if you don't resist it, because you, some people think, you know, I hear what you're saying, but if I accept this right now, if I admit that this is really the Spirit of God talking to me, I'm going to get some heat out of this. Hear what I, see, see what I'm saying? So we have to choose. Are we going to yield to the heat? Are we going to follow the truth? That's the issue. And the Holy Spirit tells us very plainly that He wants us. He wants us to follow the truth. Twenty years ago, as I mentioned this before, I was a confused young man. I was visiting different churches. I went from church to church to church. And, and as I visited one church, you know, there was some truth there, but there were other things there that I couldn't go along with and I didn't stay there. I went to another church and I learned some truth there, but there were other things there that I just, I just couldn't, couldn't go along with. And I went from church to church to church. And God was leading me, walking me through this process. And eventually, as time went on, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, led me specifically into a church called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, the reason is because if you look up here on the screen again, Jesus said the Spirit is the Spirit of the truth. And he wants to guide us into all truth. And he has a church that is the church based upon the truth. And prophecy comes from the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the truth. And prophecy talks about a remnant that would keep all of the Ten Commandments and have the testimony of Jesus and would be giving the three angels' messages to the whole world. And I want to tell you something honestly and sincerely. I do believe there are Christians in all denominations, sincere Christians everywhere, but it is a fact. And let your conscience bear witness to this fact that there is only one organized denomination on planet Earth right now that is truly, specifically preaching the three angels' messages all over the world. There's just not another one. Not one. Honestly, there isn't. There's only one movement that's doing this. And this movement has been raised up by God to fulfill prophecy inspired by the Spirit to fulfill a certain assignment, a certain mission in this world. And since the Spirit of God led me into this movement, you know, it has been so positive for me. It has changed my life. It has been such a blessing to me, honest. My parents can tell you. My father uh, is a member of another denomination, but he has seen all the positive things that have happened in my life. Uh, and he keeps the Sabbath, too. He's a Sabbath keeper. My mother is Jewish. She doesn't believe at this point in Jesus. But if you were to ask her what has happened in Steve's life since he became a Christian, since he joined this movement, became part of this movement, she would say it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. This has been a very good, positive thing for me. Now, some people, to my chagrin, come to me, or maybe don't come to me, but think this. They think, Steve, I got you all figured out. 
The only reason why you come to town or anywhere and to hold these Bible prophecy seminars is just so you can get people to join your church. Anything, that's the only reason. They think you're just a, a recruiter out there, you know? And uh, I, I think about this sometimes, and I prayed and I said, Jesus, you know, what do I, how do I respond to that accusation? And this is what the Lord impressed me with. He said, talk about Noah. Imagine Noah preaching, you know, and he has a boat there, and he's talking to all these people about the flood coming, and he's pleading with people to get in the boat. And somebody might come up to Noah after all of his preaching, and they might say, Noah, honestly, you know, I've been thinking about it, and I've got you all figured out. The only reason why you're here is because you're just a recruiter and you just want to get me to join your boat. That's the only reason why you're doing this. You're, you want me to get in your boat church. Now, what do you think Noah would say to that? Noah might say, he might say, you know, you know, I really would like to have you inside this boat when the water comes down. I really would. But to tell you the honest truth, the reason why I want you in this boat is not because I'm just a recruiter trying to get a few notches on my belt. He would say the real reason is because I love you, I care about you, I want what's best for you, and when the water comes down, friend, this is the best place to be, inside the boat. You see that? It's the truth. And so, you know, the reason why I traveled around the country, I hold these seminars, is not just so I can, you know, recruit people. Believe me, it's because the Spirit of God has called me to a ministry to preach the truth of the Bible. That's the reason. And I'm trying as, as best as I can to be faithful to my calling. People around the world tonight are hearing exactly what you're hearing in this seminar. God has raised up ministries in the last few years. Ministries like Amazing Facts, ministries like Voice of Prophecy, It Is Written, Faith For Today, Breath of Life, Three Angels Broadcasting, Television Network. We hope that these meetings will air on 3ABN sometime soon. 3ABN is the Seventh-day Adventist Television Network. It's the second largest religious broadcasting network in the world outside of TBN. Are you aware of that? It's broadcast in the Three Angels messages almost all over this planet right now. This message is growing. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And God is doing something big in this world because He wants the Three Angels messages to be preached all over this planet. And if God is doing something big, don't you think we ought to know it? And there are hundreds and thousands of people around this world who hear this message, they see it in the Bible, and they feel the Spirit of God saying, these people aren't just out there trying to recruit people. These people are trying to share with me the truth of Jesus Christ. And they feel that in their souls, just like I felt it in my soul. And they choose to take a stand with this movement. Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, it's happening all the time. But some people, no more than some people, a lot of people who hear this message, wrestle with this, and they think about it seriously, and when the Spirit of God talks to their mind, their conscience, and the Spirit of God says, go forward, take a stand, be part of the remnant, join the three angels, what they think to themselves is, I can't. I, I can't do it. And certain reasons come to mind. Some people say, there's people in my family that would just never support me, and I just can't do it. I, other people say, I still have a few bad habits, and I'm just not ready to quite give them up yet. I just can't do it. Some people say, well, what would my friends think of me? You know, they already think I'm strange enough even going to this seminar. <laughs> what are they going to think if I actually join them? 
And other people say, you know, I've been, I, I'm very involved in my church and I've been involved in this church for a long time and I, how can I do this? You know, God led me to this church and he may have led you into that church. He may have done that. But he can also impress you and lead you to another church where you're going to learn more truth, more truth. He could also lead you there too. Some people say, I'm just too independent. I don't want to join any church. I just want to be on the mountain, you know, a mountain Christian. I don't want to go to a regular church at all. A lot of people feel that way. Now, one of those reasons might be your reason. And if one of them, if one of them is your reason, I would really appeal to you to ask yourself honestly, you know, the really big question for us to ask is not, of my, not what will my friends think or my pastor think or my family think or what will anybody think, but the biggest question to ask is what, what does the Lord think? And what does the Holy Spirit want me to do? Are you with me? That's the biggest question. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, verse 16. What does the Spirit of Jesus Christ want you to do? That's a very important question. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 16, says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Now, look at that. Now, I know that some of you out there that might be wrestling with this, you believe in Jesus Christ, don't you? You believe in, in Jesus as your Savior. Now, here in the last chapter of the Bible, it says here, I, Jesus. So the Jesus that you believe in, the Jesus that touched your life, that changed your life, that called you by the grace of God, that Jesus speaks to you in the last chapter of the Bible. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Now let me ask you, what are these things? These things are the things in the book of Revelation. These things about the remnant. These things about a war. These things about people keeping all the Ten Commandments and following Jesus. These things about the three angels' messages all over the world at the end of time prior to the coming of the Lord. These things inspired by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, were written for you and for me. Sometimes I wish, you know, I could just get out of the way and say, folks, this is not coming from Steve Wahlberg. I'll just hide behind this pulpit here. Look, these things are coming from Jesus Christ in his word. Now, notice verse 17. Verse 17 says, and the spirit and the bride what does the Holy Spirit and what does the bride say? Come. Now think about this. Verse 16, Jesus is talking. And then he says, I've, I've, I've sent these things to you. I'm testifying these things to you. These things about three angels. These things about a remnant. These things about keeping all the Ten Commandments. And then verse 17 says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Did you see that? So does Jesus want us to be part of a three angels message movement right down at the end before the Lord comes? Does Jesus want us to be part of this movement based upon the Bible? Does the Holy Spirit want us to? According to verse 17, it's the Spirit of God that says, come, yes, come, take a stand. Take a stand, follow the truth. And the more people that do this, honestly, the sooner we can get out of here and go home. Right? And I'm talking about home in heaven. In the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. 
This was happening a long time ago. The Spirit of God was working back then too. And Noah preached day after day. He hit the hammer down on the nail day after day after day after day. And every sermon he preached, the Spirit of the Lord was striving with people. Eventually his last sermon came and he pleaded with the whole crowd. He said, now's the time. The flood's about to come. Please make a decision and get in the boat. How many people got in the boat? Not very many. Finally, Noah went in, his family, his wife, and his, his children, there were only eight of them actually. When Noah went into the ark, everybody else thought, I don't want to get into that boat church. You know, that's an unpopular place. I don't really think that's really where I should be. Nobody else seems to be going in there, except a few folks. So they decided not to go in. And then the Bible says in Genesis 7, verse 16, that the water began to come down and it says finally, actually before that, it says the Lord shut Noah in. God shut the door. And Noah was in and everybody else was out. Noah and his family were in, everybody else was out. Those that were in were in and those that were out were out. And then when the water started coming down, they realized, wow, it's the truth. Can't believe it, but that old, that old preacher was right. And they changed their minds real quick. They got convicted real fast. And they went and they began knocking on the door. Noah, 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 please let me in. But by that time it was too late. And Noah probably set out from the inside. He said, I can't open the door because God has shut the door. Now, friends, I want you to know that I don't shut anybody's door on anybody. You know, I'm not here to tell you you've committed the unpardonable sin or make any kind of statements like this at all. Only God knows what's going on inside your mind, right? Only God knows. But eventually, according to the Bible, God will shut the door and people will be in or people will be out. That's what the scripture says. And those that were out in the days of Noah, what kind of a sin had they ultimately committed? The unpardonable sin. They had resisted the spirit. They said, I don't wanna be inside that boat. It's unpopular, it's not for me. Hardly anybody else is going in there. And they stayed out. But those that were in were safe inside. The whole world committed the unpardonable sin. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support and may God richly bless your day.